Um, a few years ago, I was teaching my then GCSE class the play A View from the Bridge by Arthur Miller. And one of my students commented, the problem with Eddie is that he believes he's right. In many ways, I suspect that's my problem as well. And I seem to believe I'm right more and more as I get older, on less and less evidence. <laughs> and I have to force myself, really force myself, to change my mind when new evidence arrives Whereas in my late teens and early 20s, I'd, I'd take on opinions uh, just to see how they felt in my mouth and then drop them just as easily. Um, as Groucho once said, these are my principles, and if you don't like them, I've got others. Um, these days, I have to try and be wrong as often as possible, and I'm succeeding. But actually, the uh, ability to think you're wrong, um, sometimes called the scientific method, is vital. And I'd like to try, if I may, a, a little hands-up experiment, okay? Could I just have hands up um, if you think you're wrong, if you personally are wrong about Donald Trump? <laughs> okay? Okay. Hands up if you're wrong about the climate emergency. If you're wrong about the need for COVID vaccines. Brexit. Boris Johnson, Black Lives Matter, if you're personally wrong about trans rights, Israel and Palestine. Two weeks ago, John was talking about the importance of belief. I want to talk about the importance of doubt. Um, there was an interesting study on public pronouncements a couple of years ago, which stated that the more certainty with which a speaker asserted a point of view, the less likely he was to be correct. And yes, it very often was he. The more caveats and possibilities the speaker put into their prediction, the more likely the prediction was to be correct. The more certain we are about stuff, the more likely we are to be wrong. And I'm about 70% sure of that. And a couple of years ago in St. Luke's, a number of you presented very powerful talks on the climate emergency we're facing. Many of them were a call to action. And the result was, for me, I found myself feeling smug, like the Pharisee in the story, merely for being part of this community. Yes, I'm on the right side of this argument. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. But was I doing my bit for the environment? Nope, not really. I'd probably even driven to church. Did I go out and join Extinction Rebellion? Nope. Did my life become more greener, more climate-friendly, more revolutionary as a result of these talks? No. I was basically the person who took his private jet to COP26 and thought he was doing his bit for the planet because he gave a lift to Sting and Emma Thompson. It pushed me in another direction, though. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, five or six years ago, we had a referendum in this country. Its ostensible question was whether or not we should remain in the EU. What it became about, actually, was how much I hate them. 
their lifestyle, their values, their way of looking at us. I voted on one side because them voted on the other side. Who them was varied on who you talked to or by the end of the campaign didn't talk to anymore, refused to talk to. I like to think of myself as a rational person. I read a review about six months ago um, of a book by President Obama's former environment advisor called something like, Why the Climate Emergency Isn't What You Think It Is. And I thought, I must read that. I didn't know, and actually, because it doesn't fit into my worldview, I've forgotten both the actual title and the name of the author. So, I wanted to find out why people, intelligent people, good people, thought differently from me. I contacted my friend Eleanor, who describes herself as a conservative evangelical, uh, my cousin Mel, who proudly voted for Brexit, my friend Kevin, who is sceptical of climate change and voted for Trump twice, and my friend Ziv, a self-declared Zionist. Not a scientific group, but a group of people I could talk to. I talked to them, and more importantly, listened to them. But as Julia Gallef said, we shouldn't let our belief become our identity. I don't think Kevin is a climate-denying Trump supporter, or Eleanor is a conservative evangelical. The moment we reduce people to their labels, we judge and dehumanise them. I don't need to listen to Brexiteers because they're all wrong. I do need to listen to Mel because she isn't. What did I discover? Um, that I'd probably actually agreed with about 80 to 90% of what they said. That from their premise or starting point, I'd probably come to the same conclusions. And that their prejudices were no more outlandish than mine, and in places probably less so. Yes, there were holes in their arguments. Yes, they had blind spots. Yes, I couldn't agree with their outcomes. But were my conclusions any better? Except for the fact that I was right. I do think certainty is a dangerous luxury. Uh, the political scientist Karen Stenner says that roughly 33% of any population has an authoritarian disposition, a belief that there is a clear right way to do anything and that anyone who departs from that should be punished. Whether that's expressed in the death to Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence chants of the January the 6th demonstrators last year, or the Twitter-shaming and online demonising of people who step outside the closely defined limits of acceptable discourse on issues of gender, ableism and sexuality. The disposition is the same. Them need to be punished for their heresy. But I think we need to understand a little more, listen a lot more, and condemn a whole lot less. Judge not that ye be not judged. What impressed me about the comments about Jack Dromey, the MP who died a few weeks ago, was how many of his tributes came from people on the other side 
of the political divide. May Conservative Mayor Andy Street commented that Parliament has lost a true believer and we've all lost a generous, inclusive friend who set a fine example. No one is asking you to lose your passions, but demonising those who disagree with us actually turns us into the demons. In so many ways, I can see the place Caiaphas was coming from in the extract from St. John's Gospel we heard today. I'm sure, about 90%, he knew that what he was doing was the right thing. He had an utterly justifiable reason for his decision to arrest and execute Jesus, and that everything he subsequently heard would have confirmed for him that he was doing the right thing. No idea is indefensible. If you can say it, it's not unsayable. If you can think it, it's not unthinkable. Torquemada probably had no doubts about the rightness of what he was doing, or John Calvin, or Savonarola, or Vlad the Impaler, or Heydrich, Robert Mugabe, or Edward Colston, or Athanasius, Bernard of Clairvaux, or Lenin. But how would history have been different if they'd all taken a bit of time to listen and say, well, I don't agree with you, but 